In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Sixteen years ago, in the spring of 2004, there were 16 couples preparing for Christian marriage at St. George's. They were not, not all planning to be married that year. Some had dates for 2005. But the number indicates the level of Christian faith and consciousness within New Brunswick society at that time. For three or four years after that, the number of marriages hovered between six and eight per year. Then there was a nosedive to three or four. And now, on average, there may be one or two weddings at St. George's per year. Those estimates are only approximate, but the general trend is undisputable. A similar thing could be said about baptisms, and I would even suggest about the hospital visitation list. There was one point in the early 2000s when for a year and a half we had between 12 and 18 people in the hospital per day. Now uh, we would have sometimes one or two, presently four. Some of that is because of a recording issue with the hospital itself. Although we've all been aware of certain changes within our world that have contributed to these kinds of decline, I found Archbishop Michael Ramsey's explanation really helpful, even though he was writing in 1968 from Canterbury, England. Fifty-two years ago, he published God, Christ, and the World, which begins as follows. He wrote, Christianity in the West finds itself today in an uneasy relation to the new and rapid developments in contemporary culture. The changes of the last few decades have produced the phenomena known as the secular world and the secular mind. Five decades later, those words ring a bell for me. Ramsey went on to define four assumptions of the secular mind, but I'll only quote the first one. He wrote, the temporal world is the only world which exists according to the secular mind. According to the secular mind, eternity is irrelevant and meaningless. There can be no idea in the secular mind of human values which transcend realization within time and history. Those are extremely limiting words. Extremely limiting assumptions. The temporal world is the only world which exists according to the secular mind. Eternity is irrelevant and meaningless. What Archbishop Ramsey wrote, 
however, has come true before our eyes. Because our culture sees eternity as being meaningless and irrelevant, many people have moved away from Christian values and the beliefs and the practices associated with them, such as holy matrimony, holy baptism, holy communion, and the need for pastoral care. I would suggest that requests for the clergy for funerals has still remained fairly steady. Because near death or at the time of death, the conclusions of the secular mind do not hold. It's one thing to ignore the Lord while we're well and busying ourselves while we're able. It's another thing altogether to deny him absolutely, especially as we near the end and find out that what we've invested in, i.e. the secular world, is empty of hope. And we've been living a lie. There's the last ditch grasping called the clergy. In this morning's epistle, St. Paul addresses this kind of situation with the Christians in the city of Rome. He asked them a simple question. What return did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of these things is death. In the prayer book version of the passage, the word fruit is used in place of return. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Before we go on, let's be clear about those things. What exactly was St. Paul talking about? Well, according to Paul, as written in today's epistle, some of the Christians in Rome had offered their bodily members to serve uncleanness and to iniquity after iniquity. John Calvin offered this simple explanation of uncleanness and iniquity after iniquity. He, he wrote, Paul mentions two kinds, uncleanness and iniquity. The former of which is opposed to chastity, purity in sexual conduct, uncleanness, opposes itself to chastity or to purity in sexual conduct and to holiness. The latter, iniquity, refers to injuries hurtful to our neighbor. But, writes Calvin, Paul repeats iniquity twice and in a different sense. The first time he means plunders, frauds, uh, perjuries, and every kind of wrong. The second iniquity, he means the universal corruption of life. As mere humans with a nature that has fallen far from the glorious and perfect way God made us, we are very susceptible to the secular mindset, which embraces uncleanness and iniquity. Sexual immorality, greediness, self-preservation, lying and cheating, 
behaviors that will hurt our fellow human being. I am susceptible, as the rich man was on the first Sunday after Trinity, to ignoring poor Lazarus, who is visible, maybe not at my window, but certainly through my browser or through my television set. I am susceptible to a judging spirit that actually enjoys condemning my neighbor and finding fault. I am susceptible to the hypocrisy of pointing out the moat in my brother's eye while ignoring the beam in my own. The thing is, I may think that I've defeated the secular mind within me because I have faith in God. But what or who is the God I have faith in? Is he a God of my own construction who affirms certain assumptions and prejudices that make me feel safe and comfortable? There's a lot of that within the church in both liberal and conservative camps. The litmus test for my faith is not whether I believe it, but whether it's actually true. Have I tweaked the Bible according to my own unconscious biases? Or have I really wrestled with the difficult issues and verified my understanding with what the rest of the scripture says and with what is stated in the creeds, the 39 articles, the catechism, and the prayer book? Does my understanding fit with what the church has believed through the centuries about a particular subject? If not, if I have not, then maybe I'm clinging to my own private interpretation which is an unconscious attempt to preserve what I want, what I like, what makes me feel good, what maintains self. I was thinking about this watching the news last night and the situation in Kentucky. Both sides, many people on both sides would pledge the root of what they're doing in Holy Scripture. Last week in the epistle, the Lord spoke to us about the new life that we've received by the Holy Spirit in baptism. He spoke about our need to die, to die to self in order to live with Christ. That our sinful self might be destroyed, wrote St. Paul. That we may never again be slaves to sin. Today he takes us another step. The one after dying to self is that we may serve what is righteous. Die to self that we may serve what is righteous so that we may be servants of righteousness. And what is this righteousness that Paul has in mind? Do you see what I mean? Is it a righteousness of Chris's creating? Of Chris's liking and defining? 
or is it the righteousness of Christ, which seeks the will and the majesty and the glory of God, the eternal Father? If it isn't, I'm operating with a secular mind, with a mind focused on me rather than on God, on here rather than on there, with a mindset that's focused on my earthly preferences rather than on the virtues of the kingdom of heaven, with one that's set on the flesh instead of the spirit, on my comforts instead of the cross of the Lord Jesus. At the end of the first chapter, Archbishop Ramsey concluded what we know and believe to be true in relation to the secular mind which denies eternity. He wrote, The message of Christianity to the modern predicaments is one of transcendence. This is why he goes on to explain. Man is created by God in God's image for a life of glorifying God. Transcendence. Not here and now. It is a life of losing self in order to find it. Not pleasure. Sacrifice. In Christ there is seen within this world, sorry, it is a life of losing self in order to find it. In Christ there is seen within this world the God who is for man in the totality of self-giving. And in Christ there is seen the man who is for God in the totality of human response. The truth of God's transcendence still stands. God is here, but man is dependent. It is for the creature still to worship the Creator, and for the sinner still to ask for the Savior's grace. Without this, the new Christianity of the secular city will lose its identity as Christianity and will deceive itself and mislead its citizens. It is still for the creature to worship the Creator, for the sinner still to ask for the Savior's grace. Without this, the new Christianity of the secular city will lose its identity as Christianity and will deceive itself and mislead its citizens. In this morning's gospel, which tells about the feeding of the 4,000, we see a glimpse, a little foreshadowing of the total self-giving of God by what Jesus did. Yes, he cared for 4,000 people by miraculously feeding them. But in his actions, we see a foreshadowing of his coming sacrifice at Calvary, of his total self-giving, as Ramsey says. There, in that field, surrounded by the crowd of 4,000, Jesus took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and he broke them and gave them to the disciples for distribution. And so it would not be long before he would offer himself 
his own body and blood, his very life, to be broken at Calvary for us. When you and I were planted or grafted in Christ in the likeness of his death in holy baptism, our sinful self, the power of our sinful self was broken. We received new life by the Holy Spirit. Because of this gracious gift, we are new people. We are new creatures in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. The devil no longer has this power over us. We are servants of righteousness. Our values, our perspectives, our outlook on life has changed. We have given up the secular mind. By God's grace, we now look beyond the material to the eternal, which the secular mind denies. We value the invisible. We walk by faith, not by sight. We believe in the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting because we've received the precious gift through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. But this change from the secular mind this change must come deep in the heart. It's a change of value. Values flow from core beliefs. The things we hold to be most important, life-giving, sacred, and true. Values, for values to change from a secular mindset to a sacred mindset, our hearts must be converted. As today's colic says, we must have the love of Christ's name grafted in our hearts. Think of that. To love, to cherish, to adore the holy name of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us, Savior. King of kings and Lord of lords, Son of Mary and Son of God, Prince of Peace, Good Shepherd, Great Physician, the Bread of Life, to have the love of His holy name grafted in my heart. To ask God to graft the love of His name in our hearts means we desire, we want so much not only that God's love be known to us here, but that his love become part of ourselves as deeply as possible. That I surrender my prejudices and ask him to root out my unconscious biases. That all within me may be brought into the way of Jesus Christ. For this we, at, we must ask the Holy Spirit's help to graft the love of the Blessed Trinity in our hearts and minds. As one commentator says, God's love in Jesus Christ is not in us naturally, but we pray that it might be given to us. 
You can't have a beautiful rose tree in your garden without someone bringing it to you so that you can plant it there. Your garden does not grow rose trees naturally, nor with all your digging and weeding and watering could you ever make your garden grow one. Then if the rose tree of the love of God is to grow in our hearts, God must transplant it out of his nursery garden into our hearts, which by nature can bring forth nothing but thorns and thistles, or at best poisonous gourds and wild grapes. We're called in this season, we're called today to be servants of righteousness. The righteousness that we see, not in the world, not in my own mind or heart, but the righteousness that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the devil constantly is trying to intercept this call with the secular mindset. He wants us to forget heaven. He wants us to make the cross easy. He wants us to continue with our self-preservation and comforts. He wants me to continue on with my prejudices and biases so that the love of God will not be able to be grafted in all of its fullness and beauty in my heart. Ultimately, if this happens, these prejudices will cheat me and enslave me and keep me from knowing the perfect peace of Christ which passes all understanding. The wages of sin, says Paul, the wages of the secular mindset, the reward of my selfish prejudices is death. Let us make no mistake about it, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen.